Hello and welcome to the Bread and Butter Bible Podcast. Yes, welcome. <laughs> My name is Casey. My name is Kelsey. And we are a husband and wife. <laughs> and getting a cup of coffee. Just fueling up. Um, I don't know if we're going to cut the beginning part of this or not, but we want to start up doing podcasts again uh, and just try to do short little videos, not videos, podcasts on uh, some of the books that we've been studying and just be able to share some of what we get to do. So today we'll talk a little bit about Philemon and this one will be fairly short. We might do some more on this book. We'll see. We'll feel it out. Yeah. So let's just jump into it. Um, I guess some context about our studying style. We try to be as inductive as possible. So that means as objective as possible. Um, we don't shoot to have a million interpretations. We just want to have the closest interpretation that we can get to the author's logic. So, or... Other words for that term are author's intent, their strategy. So to do this, we normally determine first who the author is, when they're writing, who they're writing to, um, and then any significant historical background. Um, so for Philemon, Kelsey, who is writing Philemon? So a lot like other letters, most other letters in the New Testament, Paul is writing, he mentions himself in verse 1, and it continues in the first person throughout the letter, but Paul is writing to uh, Philemon, who that's who we get the name of the letter from. Uh, Philemon seems to be someone that Paul met in his travels and his journeys, and we'll see he is writing to him on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on behalf of someone else. And I wonder who that is. Um, someone once told me that it's one Simus. One Simus, one Zemus. Uh, probably Anisimus. I think that's the most normal way we've heard it said before it's hard to know yeah. uh but he mentions anisimus in verse 10 for the first time it says i appeal to you for my child anisimus whose father i became in my imprisonment formerly he was useless to you but now he is indeed useful to you and to me interesting he goes from useless to useful what do you think he's unpacking here Okay, actually, I want to go back and talk about the author, dating, and recipient. <laughs> and okay. Then we'll get to this. Um, so you said it's written by Paul to Philemon. Um, we see all that in verse 1 and then verse 1b. Uh, um, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So it seems like this letter isn't just written to Philemon, but we have a few of these other characters and the church. Interesting. So I think we'll maybe ask about that in just a second. Do you know where Philemon's church is? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Do you know? 
So Philemon's church is in Colossae. And you can find this if you just look into any Bible dictionary. Um, try not to use Wikipedia. We normally like... Not a good idea. We normally like <laughs> Tyndale or Nelson's. I'm not such a big fan of, but your... I think it gives a good basic overview of different books so it can be a good introductory one yeah and there's also archaeological study bible that can be a helpful resource as well really anything that gives you an objective view and you can see where sources come from it's not wikipedia saying random things on what someone thinks something is so yeah <laughs> um also the international the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia is also a really good resource. Um, okay, so back to these basic background questions. Paul's the author. Philemon and his church is the audience. Philemon's church is in... Colossae, most likely. Yeah, Colossae. Uh, you can say Col Colossae, Colossae... Potato, potato. Kelsey's wincing right now. Um, As in, I don't know. Yeah, which we don't know. <laughs> um, but that's where his church is. And then, when is this written? Um, it's likely in the early sixties. So the thought is that when he says in verse ten, when he um, was in prison or in my imprisonment. So that could mean two things. Either he's still um, in prison, but most likely it's in between time of imprisonment. So it's believed that he was imprisoned in Rome in, I think it's in between 58 to 60, either that or 60 to 62. There's a break where he writes other letters, goes and tours some different places, commissions Timothy and Titus into being left at Crete and Ephesus, and then there's his final imprisonment. Mm -hmm. So it could be either the time in between or when he's under house arrest in Rome, which would actually give him freedom to do different things like writing letters. It was like being under guard, not necessarily um, in chains in like a very dark prison in the ground like he is towards the end of his life in his latter imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems like Paul is either in prison or just out of prison. In that, like, what, 58 to 62 uh, time range? Yeah. And most likely he's writing from Rome. Um, and then, why do you think the whole church is the recipient? It's at the very end of verse 2. It seems like this would be something to add accountability to what's being said. If it was something to just be personal... It would likely just be written to Philemon. It would make sense to address the whole church. But whatever is being said, um, it's something that he wants the whole church to hear or to hold accountability to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even to be involved in this decision that Paul is about to appeal for. Um, so we have a typical Pauline greeting, or you could just say the way that Paul opens up his letters verse one through verse three he says who he is he's probably including timothy here because he's training timothy to appoint him in ephesus um oh that is where timothy himself right 
Yep, he is left in Ephesus. Yeah. So Timothy is also someone else who Paul has raised up in the faith. Um, And so he's probably listing Timothy's name here for Timothy's credibility so that these other churches can see that Timothy is also an up-and-coming leader. Um, This is going to be in the 60s AD in Roman-occupied world. Um, In verses 4 through 7, do we have anything interesting happening here? Um... I'm going to have to look at it for a minute to actually think of something. There definitely is. It's Paul's introduction to the letter. And typically the introductions have a bit of an overview of what's going to take place or kind of the backdrop. Um, Do you have something in mind? Oh, I just think when in 4-5 when Paul says, so in in verse 4 he says, I think my God always when I remember you in my prayers. It's not uncommon for Paul to say something like this. Um, But in verse 5, when he says, Because I hear of your love and faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, um, that's why he's thankful. Because he hears of the love and faith of Philemon and his church. Um, So it seems that I think that's something to, to notice. And then at the very end of this paragraph, we have this word for, we're using ESV, by the way. Um, But verse seven starts with for, that could also mean because of this or something like that. So he says in verse seven, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, referring just to uh, Philemon there, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So verse seven is cluing us in that this... This church has been a really solid church, and Paul can trust them. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul has derived joy from them, and he's personally derived comfort from their love. But also, when Paul says things like this, um, he, I think he's referring to the way that the church actually lives out the gospel. So this is a church who is living out the gospel. They're loving God, loving people. They're fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, they are living life as if they're in Christ. Um, so Paul is stating their identity in verse, uh, four through seven. Mm -hmm. He's just saying, look, I'm thankful for you. Verse four, verse five, because you have a lot of love and faith toward all the saints who take care of other Christians. Um, in John, Jesus famously says to his disciples that to, to like, lay your life down for one another um this is how people know you as as my disciples it's by your love and i don't have those specific verse references off the top of my head um but this is the the kind of love that the church is supposed to to show is just uh love and care for each other um and then verse seven it's like they're they're actually doing this um Mm -hmm. and then the letter takes a turn. Um, verse 8 starts with accordingly. So that word could mean like, oh, according to everything I just said, um, I am about to ask a question of you. And what's the thing that happens in verse 8? He mentions that though he's bold enough in Christ to command, what 
he's asking um, or saying like to do what is required for love's sake in verse 9 he prefers to appeal so Paul is obviously today one of the most famous or well-known disciples apostles in the New Testament he writes the most amount of letters that exist and he someone who who held so much authority um, obviously in the early church and just reading through the different letters you see the wisdom the impact the radical change that's been had on his life uh, Paul has every right to just not only ask but to require or to command in a sense of someone to do the right thing uh, to follow in godly living to have reconciliation which this is going to start unpacking for us with Philemon uh, but Paul has every right to do those things, but he chooses to not take that route. Say, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal. So that's an interesting thing to explore if you were to study this yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's appealing to you, to Philemon. This is in verse 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> verse 9 continues. Paul is just really driving it home. Um, he does something similar in one nineteen. There he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And he goes on to talk about repaying Onesimus' debts. But in verse 9, about halfway through, he says, I, Paul, an old man now prisoner also for Jesus Christ. So he wants Philemon to have no mistake that this is Paul writing this letter. And he is serious. Um, verse 10, we have this big, big thing. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. When it says, whose father I became in my imprisonment, what does that mean? It's definitely not literal. Um, you can't exactly become someone's literal father after the fact. Um, but it seems to be used in a figurative way way and even if you look at other letters i'm not sure if it says it here uh but timothy who's mentioned in verse one paul calls him um his child or titus his other um close follower person that he commissions into ministry and titus um being the first four verses in the first chapter says my true child and he mentions the same of Timothy. So it's something, a phrase that he uses, like a father and a child to people that are extremely close to him. And specifically are people that he's advocating for in the faith, in ministry. Uh, their validation of the ministry that they're going to have and approving them to the people. So when he says, whose father I became in my imprisonment, it probably could be read in the same tone. Like he sees Onesimus as someone who is worthy of this approval that Paul the apostle would say he is like my child in a sense I approve of him I see the Lord in him his work giving that validation mm-hmm. yeah and uh, just a reference for you in Acts 16 1 through 5 <laughs> this is when Paul picks up Timothy and just starts to take him along on his missionary journeys. Um, and at this point, Timothy's pretty young, and Paul ends up raising him up in the faith. So being like a spiritual father. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, Paul's mind is on 
discipling people and also discipling people who will care for the church when he's gone. Mm-hmm. And that that in itself, like, I want to just pause and talk about that. That's a mission that we all should have, is thinking beyond our lifespan. Um, we <laughs> We really like to go into like dip into application you know as we're studying um it just makes the study so much more relevant but we like to dip into application after we've actually interpreted um so in this sense in verse 10 of philemon we see that paul is appealing for onesimus whose father spiritual father he became in prison Mm -hmm. um the big thing here is that paul is trying to like disciple the church and you know say what you will um and and i think look into the stats for yourself something terrible has happened in the um united states church over the past like 30 40 years um we had a lot of this is going to be spicy by the way so we had a lot of believers like 50, 60 years ago, and then things have just declined ever since, mm-hmm. what, the 1970s, 80s. Um, so in the 70s, we had these huge booms, huge revivals, and then it seems like those people, we love them, um, but it seems like they they failed to disciple the next generation. Um, and, you know, there's always a stigma, I think, um, that people outside of the church think that the church hates young people Mm. and and that stigma is really felt because it's like the church seems to have all these rules and regulations and you know we should have those but also we just Mm -hmm. need to love people and share the gospel um so we need to have paul's mindset and it's never too late to disciple someone i think that you should always have someone who is discipling you and you should always have at least one if not like three or four people that you're discipling and training to be in ministry. Um, And this goes across the board over any sort of vocation that you're in. You don't have to be a preacher, a pastor, a reverend, a minister to, to be in, in ministry. Like you can be a Christian business person. Um, You can be a Christian politician. It's very, very important though, to always, always disciple people um and disciple more than one multiply yourself uh because when you do so you're multiplying the kingdom of god mm-hmm. so you know at the risk of taking that application point maybe a little too off topic um <laughs> i think it was just important to slow down and say that um and and our older generations should not feel guilty um mm-hmm. you know it's like it's an opportunity yeah to invest and to disciple and it goes both ways as well, like seeking out discipleship for yourself if you're in that category of the younger generation. Let's say, like, it definitely takes two. Yeah. Um, but that spiritual fathership, you could say, um, is huge and it really builds up people and properly commissions them into ministry, being well supported for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So find someone to disciple you and find someone that you can disciple. Um, okay, so what else happens after verse 10? 
So after verse 10, um, let's take a look. So he keeps discussing Onesimus, uh, his relationship to him, saying he was formerly useless, now useful. And in verse 12 saying, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Um, and that he would have been glad to keep him with him, uh, serving in the ministry. That's already made obvious by just the way that he calls Onesimus, um, like his child, that he became like his father in his imprisonment. Um, but there's something here that is a greater priority to Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So verse 10 all the way through 12, we get to this like heart of the letter. Um, and really this whole paragraph starting in verse 8 going all the way to 16, so that bigger picture there surrounding verse 8 through 12, Paul is honing in and he is focusing the direction of this letter on Onesimus. Um, and Onesimus is being sent back. So what kind of historical background do we have on Onesimus or what's a decent interpretation for who this person is? So if you were to look in any one of those resources, it would mention, um, alongside from some clues that we have here, in verse 16 it says, No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother. Uh, Onesimus would have been seen as a household slave, you could say. And slavery was different in this time period. People would also voluntarily go into, quote, slavery, um, and it would essentially take the role of being like a house worker, even physicians were seen as bond servants, um, but these people were also taken care of by the households that they were in, again, depending by the situation and the household that they were in. However, if a slave tried to run away, and they would usually go and do errands for whoever their master was by as the well. Way, this is talking about Roman slavery in 60 AD. Yeah. So that's, what's that like? Um, just like I was saying, it's not the same as what we think of yeah. with connotations of slavery today. Um, very different, more of a vocation. People would also do this as for a debt that they had possibly. But back to what slave owners could do. Um, so bond servants and their masters, if a bond servant were to run away or possibly run away with maybe the cash that they were given for errands by roman law they were allowed to put that slave to death actually um which is still obviously an extremely harsh punishment and is the evil aspect you could say of what slavery looked like in the roman empire um again very different from today but philemon in this case had every right to require this of Onesimus in this case, but Paul asks him to, in verse 16, not go by this law, but to accept him as a beloved brother, mm -hmm. uh, to be one who is on the level playing field in Christ, uh, similarly to how Paul looks at Onesimus as being someone who would be useful in ministry and valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this brings up a, I think a really fascinating point really from verses 12 all the way to 16, uh, if I just read those two verses, verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Um, 
And then verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Um, so everything that happens between verse 12 and verse 16, I think is almost like a wake-up call. Now, we don't really know this, but it really seems like just from the text, um, even starting at verse uh, 10 and 11, Paul says, I became Onesimus' father in prison. Onesimus was formerly useless to Philemon. Now he is useful. Um, it seems like Onesimus got into prison by stealing money mm -hmm. that he was given to run an errand. He probably stole it and ran away. So exactly that situation of possibility of what runaway slaves would do in that time. Yeah, and yeah. it wasn't uncommon. But I think it's interesting that it it seems like Philemon did not share the gospel with Onesimus. Um, and that's what, if we go all the way back to verse um, 2 and this audience being the church, like this is a wake-up call. It's a gentle nudge. Um, well, it's almost like actually a, a, literary, push. a literary slap in the face. <laughs> um, it's like, why didn't you guys do this? Why didn't you accept this brother like why didn't you share the mm. gospel with him what are you doing um and of course paul's language is much more eloquent than that yeah. um so in verse 16 paul just says no longer is a bond servant but more like because paul's saying this and it's almost as if paul's saying he's more than a bond servant because i shared the gospel with him and he is now following jesus um mm -hmm. and paul says nothing about that in this letter he doesn't point fingers. So again, this is something that we don't really know. We don't know. I did the job you didn't do. No, yeah. He doesn't really say that. Yeah. Um, but he appeals to Philemon, actually to his character, and trusting that he's going to, with a very strong push towards that, you could say, that he is going to accept him back as a beloved brother. And there is extremely high stakes with that. Like, Anisimus has to trust that when he's returning as well... That with Paul's trust in Philemon, that he's not going to enact this Roman law of what he's legally allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Like, he is trusting that he'll be accepted back. And Paul is willing to, in those further verses, verse 17 onward, receive him as you would receive me um, to charge it to him if he has, let's say, that money that was stolen, maybe to run away, that Paul would return it that he would repay it yeah verse 19 mm -hmm. i will repay it say to say yeah. nothing of your owing me even your own self and we don't know what that's about either do we yeah yeah we don't know exactly we can only kind of imagine that but either way paul and in his intent in verse 17 is that philemon would treat anisimus as he would treat paul which is wild you have paul the apostle and you have anisimus a bondservant but his point here, and back to that beloved brother idea, is that the loving, the loving, the playing field is is leveled. That Onesimus should be looked at with the same value um, in Christ that mm -hmm. Paul has to Philemon. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some other things that I find really interesting with this and then we can just wrap it up so i think some lessons from this letter are how do you communicate to someone 
um, who is making a bad decision. <laughs> How do you communicate to someone when you need to see them grow? That's a fun one. What Paul doesn't do is he doesn't point out that, you know, Philemon didn't seem to accept Onesimus, that Philemon seems to maybe have this anger issue. Maybe Philemon wants to fall back on his rights by the the law of Rome. Um, but maybe Paul's he actually, really wants his money back. Yeah. And that's fine. But Paul is actually calling Philemon to like conform to God's standard. And God deals in the currency of love and in a currency of always, always, always coming into the midst of sin and forgiving it. And we need to do the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, you know, obviously there are some stipulations here. Paul states very clearly that he can trust Onesimus. There are other places, like in the letter of Galatians, where he doesn't trust their judgment. Um, he says over and over again, like, oh, you foolish Galatians, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Um, or in Second Corinthians, he writes about what's called the super apostles, doesn't trust their judgment. Mm-hmm. But here he's clear, like, he's calling out on uh, Philemon's character in the Lord. And he's asking Philemon to conform to that character and accept Onesimus. And then even to, like, instate Onesimus in the church to give him mm-hmm. some sort of, like, authority to actually be able to go and do something useful. And that's the other point here is, like, what is Paul saying is useful? What What is he suggesting is useful in verse 11? When Paul says, formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and to me. Mm. So what is useful for a Christian the only useful thing. And we're just talking about meaning of life. Obviously, like we can clarify this in a, in a moment here. But what is useful is to participate in the Great Commission. That is what's useful. And to participate in being in the family of God. And that's that's it. You know, it's not making money. It's not writing law. The law is already written. Jesus is you know, our victor, he's defeated death and sin, and now we have to go tell the world. So that's our only thing. That's what makes us useful. Um, and really, like, this is what Christianity is all about. It's as simple as that. Um, that's what makes us useful. And we can practice this in, you know, so many areas at home, just by loving, loving your family, loving your roommate, if that's what you have, um, your your husband, wife, sister, brother, um, just by loving and in the community by like opening yourself up and being willing to share the gospel Mm -hmm. (laughs) that Jesus Christ has died for sin and death. He is God come as a man and he has redeemed us all from sin and death and we have eternal life in him. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is what's useful is participating in that paradigm. Um, So yeah, I think those are the main two lessons. It's just, you know, what is useful and, and how to communicate to someone who you need to call to a higher standard. Obviously, we have all this other stuff with Onesimus and his identity change. Um, is there anything else you would say before we wrap this up? I think just to confirm, those are the two main points that we explored. But again, there's a lot more things that you can dig into and we would encourage you to take this background into mind read through it for yourself and see what other details you can find that really can be brought into application like those two points 
So we hope that this was enjoyable to listen to um, and a good introduction to Philemon. And we look forward to discussing more books in the future with you. So thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Um, This has been the Bread and Butter podcast. And we'll see you guys or, uh, well, (laughs) what would we do? Um, We'll catch you guys next time. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) See ya.